Hi, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about the classical world, ancient books, classical education, how to teach, and all uh, podcast. Yeah. Uh, yep, good. <laughs> Sounds like you're figuring that out in real time. It's, it's, yeah. it's early in the morning, yeah. <clears throat> I think is the issue. Is I mean, yeah, for me. It's almost 10 o'clock. It's summer. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, anyway, you guys keep suggesting early things, and you just want to ruin my summer. Well, no, not, yeah, Hannenberg, so, we do this out of love. We're trying uh, to we're trying to wean you off of your summer schedule yes. back onto a school schedule. You are so you're not my one. real mom. <laughs> you don't have to do that. So that day one is not. I'm a grown man. Weekend. I can sleep in how I want to. Um, my name is Graham Donaldson, and I am joined by the illustrious Thomas Magby. Hello, and wow. the evervescent mm. AJ Hannenberg. Wow. All right. Don't look right at him. <laughs> Um, Wasn't that a band in the 90s? Evervescence? Evanescence. As Evanescence. As Evanescence. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, they, they, that was a thing that happened. I totally forgot about Evanescence. Wow. What was their song? Isn't that Wake Me Up Inside? No. Wake Me Up, Wake Me Up Inside. Is that Evanescence? I think so. Uh, I think so. Yeah, I always get them confused with like the Christian version of them, which was P.O.D. Oh, that? yeah. Yeah, yeah P.O.D. Those are good times. Anyway, um, we are three classical educators. We work at a school called Veritas Academy in sunny, sunny Austin, Texas. And boys, it is the height of August. Mm-hmm. Um, the sun is at its angriest. <laughs> And it's hot out there. It is really hot out there. It's been like, it's been cracking... 105. 105. Um, I kind of want to try the frying pan egg thing. It probably could work. If you have a mirror, it'll definitely work. You tried the cookie dash thing? Cookie dough on your dash? Is that really a thing? Yeah, where you can cook cookie dough on your dash. It just doesn't seem like sanitary. Wow. Okay, so, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> at me I'm no prince, Maggie. Yeah, okay. I didn't get my uh, You're good for dash cookies. Your majesty. Uh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I do wash my hands somewhat regularly. I'm very sorry, gentlemen. Um, and anyway, so speaking about virtue advice okay, yeah. <laughs> today, what a we are going yeah. to be learning about virtue, but mostly vice. Is that correct, okay. Hannenberg? Yeah, uh, yeah, virtue, but mostly vice. <laughs> awesome. Um, so I'm I'm gonna give a version of the Paideia talk I gave for, for our little school conference a couple of days ago. I know I promised Plato Book Two. That's still coming. <laughs> it really is. They're they're they're. Is this like Plantagenet Part 14 that we're still waiting on? Hey, oh, sorry. I hit oh. the end of Plantagenets. Well, so kind you of. finished we're British history? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's incredible. Wow. I mean, the one, all the British history I find interesting. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. Shots fired. Okay. Uh, and we just lost some listeners. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So I, yeah, that's still coming. I'm just going to do the, the talk we worked on. And I know we've sort of done the seven deadly sins before. Hopefully I will add a little bit of color and information surrounding what those are and where they came <clears> from. Because <throat> I think when we did it, didn't we just sort of focus on what the sins themselves were, mm-hmm. I Wasn't think. It through the lens of Dante? Yeah, yeah, the hell, yeah, and we were also under the impression that the seven deadly sins were offset and corresponded to the vir- to the to the the cardinal virtues and the holy virtues, which may which may well, not necessarily be true. There's like another set of virtues that kind of correspond right. to the seven deadly sins, but, but it's not yeah. really. It's not, and those aren't the virtues that everybody thinks of. Mm-hmm. So I've done a little more research. So I'm going to start with the question. I and I watched my... the movie Seven to prepare myself oh. for this. But I'm just kidding. That's, oh, that's uh, did you find out what was in the box? Um... <laughs> What's in the box? What's in the box? Sorry. I think it's like Iron Man's wife. Oh. <laughs> this is sad. All right. So I started, I know, Graham, you came to the the talk that I gave, but I started with a question. Does God see all sin as the same? No. Why do you guys say no? Or why, why do you say no? Okay. So the reason people give for saying this is a verse in James that says that anyone who has committed a sin is guilty of all sin, but that is a separate point from saying that all sin is equal. Well, there's there's more than that. There's in Romans, um, no one is righteous. All have sinned sure. and fallen short of the glory sure. of God. There is no sure. one righteous. No, not one. Sure. Um, funny fact about that verse. So there was a little tiny church in Northern Ontario that I went to in the summers when I worked at camp. And they had like if you were a new visitor, they would give that like a little pencil, little thing to take away. And um, they never had new visitors. Um, it was a tiny church, wow, so okay. they did have a lot of pencils. Um, they had a lot of pencils, <laughs> and I, I was kind of new, like you know. So, you so they gave me a pencil, yeah. but the best part about it was that that was the verse on the pencil, and so it said like the name of the church. Is there is no one righteous, no, not one. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and I thought that was hilarious. Anyway, we're all sinners here. Yeah. 
Uh, um, but yes, so it is a common thing to to have our students say, all sin is equal, God sees all sin the same. Yes. And I definitely had some strand of that in my Protestant upbringing. Yeah. I can't remember, I don't think it was ever explicitly, I don't think my parents ever taught me that. Um, but definitely as I got older and I was in um, less liturgical circles of of or lower church circles of Christian Protestantism, that definitely was in there. So maybe it's a, like a reformed thing, or it's like it's I don't know. I don't think Calvin I was ever thing. taught it either. I think maybe it's like one of those Christian rumors, kind of like the <laughs> Christian if, rumors. <laughs> well, you know how there are student rumors, like yeah, if sure. the teacher doesn't show up to class after ten minutes, no, you can like leave. You, you get right. leave without punishment. Now that is a thing at uh, UT. So I think it was fifteen minutes. So there are places. But even where, I wait, knew wait, that growing up in Saskatchewan. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. Did you actually that check the bylaws, or was that something you heard from your fellow students? Students. Heard from fellow students and then acted on and then was not punished for. So here we are. Well, I mean, what professor wants to admit they were 15, late, 15 that, minutes late yeah, to a class? But I heard that from my fellow students. I don't think that's anywhere in the that's Whitworth funny. bylaws. That's yeah. Funny. Yeah. This is folklore. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. It just sort of gets <laughs> into around. the culture. Yep. Um, so it's it's awesome that you guys brought up those verses because I think that's true. And that's actually the, the motive behind giving this podcast and this talk was that I've heard so many times from my students that God sees all sin the same, right? Right. That it's that He doesn't care what it is. All sin is the same in God's eyes. And I, I, you guys even named the right verses. So Romans three nine through twenty, uh, it's the there is none righteous, no not one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Cheery group, sounds like. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, and then the, yeah, they the, get stuff done. the rest of this verse also has to do with it. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Right? So basically... We're all under the law, and then if we get grace, it's for all of us, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of what it's talking about. Yep. That's not the only verse, though, that talks kind of about this. There's also Galatians 3.22, uh, but scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe, right? Everything locked up under sin. And then Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that sort of thing. Like, f- because of those things, because... And I, I like to refer to this as legal status because of our legal sure. status, right? If yep. you sin, you have transgressed the whole law. That's yep. the rule. Like yes. every sin is worthy of death, even a small one. But that doesn't mean that they're all the same, right? Uh, maybe you could, a good analogy would be like if we live in a really totalitarian society, totalitarian society. Mm-hmm. Wow, nailed that, that one. Was good, yeah. Um, and stepping on the grass is punishable by life in prison. But then if you murder someone, you get like 12 lifetimes in prison, right? Sure. It's all it's all pretty bad. You're all right. going to end up in prison, but some are certainly worse than others. Um, but you're saying still in that situation, stepping on grass is less bad than murdering someone. Yeah, right? it yeah. does less damage to society. It's less of a problem. Um, uh, well, maybe that... I, so I was not at your talk, so I don't know. How, the question I'll eventually get to is how do we know which one is worse, right? So if, if there's a difference in, in them... It, yeah, you, you just pointed to a utilitarian like... Stepping on grass is not that bad compared to killing a person. Anyway, right. just how we'll figure out how we like rank those things. I thought you were a disciple of Vagrius. I'm so sorry. Uh, we can do um, Deadly Thoughts. You want to talk about Desert Fathers, Deadly Thoughts? Hey, whoa, spoilers. Come I, on, man. Did you listen to my Acedia podcast? I t- anyway, sorry. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so the, there are a bunch of verses that give evidence to the contrary, right? That God yes. does see sin at, in gradations, right? So Proverbs 6, 16, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying I'm, tongue. I hate haughty eyes too. <laughs> Me too. I'm glad you're aligned. Yeah. yeah good. Isn't that a like a makeup shade? Haughty <laughs> eyes. Yeah. Haughty yeah. eyes. Haughty yeah. eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict okay. in the community. Yeah. Right? Those are bad things. Those are bad things. Um, and then there's the Exodus passage you talked about where there was different punishments for in, for uh, if you like knew that your bull was kind of a oh, problem, sure. mm-hmm. right? From the last podcast. The, 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 those civil laws, yeah. That. Yeah, the civil laws where some were punished more severely and some less. Mm-hmm. Um, 
1 Corinthians 6, 9, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And then he, he lists a whole bunch of sins. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Um, Matthew eleven twenty one to 22, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you, right? Implying that there is a gradation of sin, Mm -hmm. even as we come to the day of judgment. Um, Then there's the the parable about the master and the servant, where he doesn't do the work he should have done. Uh, There's John 19.11. I think this is the most telling. Jesus answered... And when he's talking to Pilate, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Yeah. Right. So there we have gradation in sin straight from the mouth of Jesus. Right. So what what sort of benefits do you think having that be a probably wrong, but nevertheless disseminated theological statement saying that all sin was equal? Like, did that help in some sort of... Um, discussions of the gospel or, or was that uh, like, I think you're right in saying that that is a theological mistake to say that all sin is yeah. equal, um, um, whether legal status and everything else. But what what sort of, did it have some kind of benefit that, it's, like, why I, did we use it? Why did, why, did, why, why did that be something that we fell into? I think there's a twofold reason. First, if, I've, if I'm like, man, God can't save me. I've done some real messed up stuff in my life. Then I, as a, you know, as as an evangelical, I can say actually he can. Like mm-hmm. there are, he will forgive just about anything, right? You're not you're not too far gone. There's no pit so deep. And the other thing is convincing people who think they're pretty good that they're actually there's sinners, still work to do, right? right like now. yeah, that they you know one small sin and you've you've messed up the whole thing, mm-hmm. right? When they're like I'm pretty good, I pay my taxes, I don't lie, like I've never cheated on my wife, you know that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, I Cause think because there's a the truth in it of. That you, you're, when you're quoting Romans, that there is a condemnation kind of for no matter what you do, but that doesn't, it like works one way, but doesn't work the other way. So it works to say that the punishments are equivalent, but it doesn't work the other way to say that the sins are equivalent. Yes. So it's helpful in one direction and then unhelpful the other direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll get there. We'll get to some takeaways. I'm going to yeah. try to blast through some content and then we can sort of unpack cool. it near the end. Cool. But I wanted to talk about the the seven deadly sins as we have them today, because those are seen still by the church to be sort of a codification of human sin, right? Mm-hmm. But it doesn't appear anywhere in scripture, right? We have lists of, as far as I know. It's, um, you're saying that in the sense of like, there's no list that says these are the seven deadly sins. Yes, right, okay. that's that's but, my point. We have all are, sorts of lists. Or, we have the, or these, yeah, these are seven things that are condemned. Like there's no story that says gluttony is really good or no story that says pride is really good. So, yeah. But there's nothing counteracting the fact that these are in fact sins. Yes. We just don't have, they, they're just not the listed list. as heading yes. headings. Yeah. And there's nowhere in the Bible that says like, and these are the seven deadly sins. Yes, exactly. Not once. Yeah, totally. Yeah. All right. So where'd they come from? Well, it all started with a fella named Evagrius <laughs> who you know about. He's a desert father. He, he, what he came up with were deadly thoughts and then yep. Aquinas um, summarized them into deadly sins. I think oh, it was man. Aquinas, might have been someone else. You are you are just full of information. Yeah, um, sorry, if you no, want to read the really cool. book, uh, Acedia, oh, I forgot the name of it. Just listen to our old episode on Acedia. We talk about these deadly thoughts also. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, so I'm, I'm going to go through the deadly yeah, thoughts again. Yeah. So Evagrius lived from 345 to 399. He was a monk from 383 onward. Mm-hmm. Um, and he put together a book called The Practicos, mm-hmm. which was basically, here is how to be monk and how to be good at being monk. Um, yes. And he gives a list, gluttony, sexual immorality, love of money, sadness, anger, acedia, vainglory, and pride, right? Which is eight thoughts. So this, this is before we, we jumped it down to seven. There's a couple in there. Um, acedia, we've talked about on a previ- previous podcast. Can anybody give me a quick definition of acedia? Laziness toward spiritual matters. Sloth, sure. sloth is how it's eventually <clears throat> translated. But what we think of as sloth is the combination of sadness, which doesn't appear in the seven deadly sins, right. and acedia. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's it's a feeling that there can be no moral progress, so you might as well stop trying. Yeah, a form of despair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Okay, so he he gives these eight, and he kind of gives a, a fun description of each. So gluttony is 
it, it like tempts you to suddenly reject your asceticism. Like you want new stuff. And then he actually gives a solution. Like here, here's the way to avoid each of these sins. Um, so gluttony, you want to reject your asceticism and be like, yeah, I finally want some food and some ease and then wouldn't that be nice? And he says, starve it, right? Like if you are tempted to eat too much food, well, if you don't eat food for five days and then you have a little piece of bread, you'll be way more thankful for the piece of bread and mm-hmm. you'll be less tempted to consume a lot. <clears throat> yeah. Sexual immorality is the desire for other bodies. And the solution for that is avoid other bodies. There you go. There you go. <laughs> it's real straightforward. If you yeah. don't see anybody, it's hard to be lustful. Yeah. Um, love of money. And this was, right, it's, it's weird to think of a, a monk having love of money. And so for them, it was you're attracted to a life of ease, health, and less shame from depending on others. So what mm. money offered to the monk was a much easier life, yeah. um, a much healthier life, and then... You know, they didn't have to, to beg. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's the, the solution? And I think this deserves a whole conversation in and of itself. Love. And hmm. he, he says, love can't coexist with wealth. Wow. Love destroys wealth. Destroys wealth. That's interesting. Hmm. Any thoughts? So Aristotle uh, puts magnanimity as the mean between um, giving all of your money away and giving no money away. Uh, so I'm just, it almost feels like the vagaries' definition is kind of going toward the extreme of giving everything giving away. everything away. But that, I mean, that feels better, right? Like, I, yeah, like it, it does feel wrong. It, it feels wrong to hold on to wealth when there is poverty in the world mm-hmm. that could be solved. This is um, what's the guy's name? Um, there's a philosopher. I'll, I'll Google his name after I do this. Where he says that because the cost, like when you look at how much it costs to provide a vaccine in Africa. It's, you know, a few dollars. And if all of us donated a few dollars, we could wipe out diseases in Africa. Since the cost to us is so minimal and the benefit to them is so great, it is immoral that we hoard essentially any of our money instead of um, providing it to the world. Um, so I think there, I think there's something to it. Um, it kind of creates problems with like, if he, if, if Agrius were in like a family, like, so if I were to give away all of our money, I'm I'm wronging my wife and my child, so I'd have to think about that. Well, you're being charitable to some, but not to others, right? Sure. And those others are people you're really supposed to have some charity for, your wife and your Great. son. Great. Uh, that's, maybe that's good. So a part of the charity would involve them, so that means I couldn't give everything away. Like, I need enough for them to, like, I don't know, right. eat. I, I just thought it was interesting that he put those two things as opposites, love yeah. and wealth. Yeah. And if you think about it, you know, the more I love someone else, if I want to give them something, that is straight up destruction of wealth, yeah. right? So having those as opposite, I thought was interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and then the next one uh, is sadness. Oh, and just before we move on, do yeah, you happen to know if the, if his, if the, the word for love he's using is caritas? Is that sort of self-sacrificing charity love? I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, then next one is sadness, which he says comes from frustrated desires, right? When you don't get something you want, you get sad. Yeah. And he says, gloominess, since it's dep- deprivation of pleasure, the solution is not to have pleasure in the first place. <laughs> if you never have any fun, you won't be sad when the fun is gone. Wait, what? Okay. <laughs> That's insane. Sorry. <clears throat> the solution to sadness is to essentially be sad all the time? Like, No. You won't no, be sad if you never lose something. So uh, it's like if you, I don't know, if you never experience any pleasure, I don't know. That doesn't. I that one doesn't seem to uh, fit. Yeah, maybe I wonder if it's more on, similar to the food thing where it's the solution. If you're sad all the time, you should go and like be, be, be in a position where you're even more miserable. Yeah. So like I sometimes think about this if I have a kid in class and he's real grumpy and he's sad and he's sort of like moping around and he's saying, you know, those sort of self-depreciating things. You're like, man, you are a ray of flipping sunshine today. (laughs) Um, I sometimes feel like if we go and have class outside in the 105 degree and like he doesn't get any, like if we go and and we have something that is completely more uncomfortable. I wonder if that if then if you come back and and then you're in a more comfortable place if if that uh, but I don't know maybe that won't work like if you starve if you it's sort of like you know starve yourself of food and when you get a little bit of food you're like I actually really love eggs um, or whatever um, starve <laughs> yourself like completely starve yourself of like an enjoyable situation when you come back it's sort of like oh actually I, I should have appreciated this in the first place yeah I don't know maybe it's more I I think the insight is interesting that the problem of sadness isn't the sadness it's that you are too used to pleasure. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the problem isn't that uh, you you need more pleasure. The problem is that you've like grown accustomed to it and you expect that's how life is always supposed to be. And that seems to 
maybe that's what I'm. Uh, it's like you're a little against. dopamine addict, and the, yeah. the yeah. regular life doesn't interest doesn't you do anymore. Enough. Yeah, that's really that's interesting. I like yeah, that. I think it's fun. The next one is acedia, <clears throat> and oh, sorry, next one is anger. Uh, and basically, he said. This is indignation against a wrongdoer or presumed wrongdoer. You might get it wrong. And that if left, it can become, he actually uses the word, I think, manus. Or is this uh, the next guy? It might be the next guy. But he says it can change to rancor if it's rooted, right? If, yeah. if it lasts over a few days, it can get worse and worse and worse. And he said there are two solutions to this. Number one, give him a gift. <laughs> if you're mad at somebody, giving him gifts helps. Mm-hmm. And number two, don't do the thing where you imagine yourself telling them off or having a fight with them. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you guys mm-hmm. been angry at somebody mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, and you just imagine yourself really giving them what for. Mm-hmm. And then he said, don't do that and give them a gift. It'll fix it. Yeah. Acedia, he That's calls, why I give you guys gifts. Because <laughs> you're, you're, you're ranked full yeah, of rancor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the, the next one is Acedia. And we, you know, you've talked about this before, yeah. but he ranks it as the noonday demon. It's yeah. when you really want to get out of your cell. And the passage is so fun that I'm going to read it if that's okay. Yeah, did you read it on the last one when you, I, you did it? Probably, but it, please do again. Are you reading from Psalms? Or are you reading? I'm uh, reading from his practicos. Yeah, yeah, sure. uh, so he says, the demon of Acedia, which is also called the noonday demon, is the most burdensome of all the demons. It besets the monk at about the fourth hour, 10 a.m. of the morning, encircle, encircling his hour until about the eighth hour, 2 p.m. First, it makes the sun appear to slow down or stop, so the day seems to be 50 hours long. Then it forces the monk to keep looking out the window and rush from his cell to observe the sun in order to see how much longer it is till the ninth hour, 3 p.m., and to look look about in every direction in case any of the brothers are there. Then it assails him with hatred of his place, his way of life, and the work of his hands. That love has departed from the brethren and that there is no one to console him. If anyone has recently caused the monk grief, the demon adds this as well to amplify his hatred of these things. It makes him desire other places where he can easily find all that he needs and practice an easier, more convenient craft. After all, pleasing the Lord is not dependent on geography, the demon adds. God is to be worshipped everywhere. It joins this to this the remembrance of the monk's family and his previous way of life and suggests to him that he still has a long time to live, raising up before his eyes a vision of how burdensome the ascetic life is. So it employs, as they say, every possible means to remove the monk to abandon his cell and give up the race. No other demon follows on immediately after this one, but after its struggle, the soul receives, in return, a peaceful condition and unspeakable joy. Basically, it's just getting really antsy mm-hmm. yep, during the day. Right? I'd like to point out that it is 10.05 a.m. And we are <laughs> our, we are now five minutes are into you, the Acedia hour. Are you feeling that? I'm just, I mean, time? Yeah. as you were reading, I was looking yeah. outside. I was checking my watch. I was <laughs> just despairing over this podcast. Just oh, wish I could do something useful. Is All right. What's I, was, the f- I was looking for monks outside. <laughs> <laughs> boys. Hey, boys. Um, All right. What's the solution for this one? How do you fix it? Buckle down. That. Giver. Yeah. He says, tear your soul in two. And encourage yourself. Persevere. Oh. Basically, give yourself a real big pep talk. Mm. Like, like, stand in front of the mirror and do, like, a... Affirmations? Yeah. 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 Like Daily that. affirmations? Yeah. That's, um, how, that's how you all start the day, right? Yeah. Mm, yes. Are you trying to think? Okay, good. So, the next two, vainglory and pride, I think we usually use as synonyms, but they're not. Vainglory is, like, wanting praise for yourself. So, he says it's like wanting to publish your efforts and gain glory among men, and you, like, have fantasies of famous healings, like you heal a guy, and then everyone's like, oh, you're such a great monk, because you healed this guy, and that's sort of what you want. And then he says, do everything for God. The ascetic life is the answer to this one. So, the internet is vainglory. (laughs) I mean, yes. And and plenty of other sins. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Pride is the worst, and it's not admitting God's help. Soul is responsible for its own achievement, and you disdain the brethren because they don't see all of this about you. So, whereas vainglory is wanting praise, pride is saying they're not praising me as they should because I'm so great mm-hmm. and I accomplished all these things. So, it's similar, not, but not completely. Yeah, it's not necessarily yep. wanting the glory. It's being like detesting others because they're not giving you appropriate glory mm-hmm. that you deserve because you're awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, well, remember your older life and how you were back then. So, vainglory, deep down, you could say, I'm not worthy of all this praise, but man, I want it. Right. But pride is I'm, believing you yes. are worthy of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the next step, so we had Evagrius, then the next step in the... the just, I love how practical Evagrius is, that... Yeah. Like, can you, like, imagine a student coming to you, and they're describing something, and you very quickly identify it as wrath, or uh, gluttony, or whatever, like... Give today, him a gift. Buy him a coffee. Is that... Well, that yeah. You want to talk about it, and mm-hmm. you know, oh, that sounds really hard, and 
and and there's value to like identifying with it, but I don't like, I don't know if anyone's ever been that direct of, you probably just need to cut out food or you need to like, or you love pleasure too much or I don't know. I just, he's just so practical. Yeah. yeah. I just really appreciate that. Yeah. It's, it's born out of the seven deadly sins. Isn't some like theological theory. It's right. born out of, this like, is a monk that's lived the life and talked to the that, desert fathers. Yeah. And here's the sins that we typically deal with. And yeah. here's how to fix them. It's like, it's like, yeah, it's practical counseling. It's <clears> yeah. not, it's not, we're going to talk about this for months and months. It's, something actually needs to change. Like there's actually a problem and it needs to be dealt with. Right. So are you thinking Thomas that you will now like prescribe actions for the students to do when they come to you and they, they say certain things or um, they, they sort of say like, man, I'm, I'm, I just can't, I'm really up mad at this other student. You'd be like, well, yeah. Um, usually action is a part of it. Um, yeah. With, um, uh, yeah. Like penance. Yeah. I, was, I didn't know the right way to talk. Cause like, the, Tell them to go on a pilgrimage to like the stream down by. I just feel like, yeah, <laughs> that, that's kind of that's more that's Greek that's classical. I like that. Um, there, there is a long history of like the way you make things right is repentance, like a sorrow mm-hmm. over the sin, and then usually you're told, okay, this is what you need to do to to make that right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think it depends on the person in like the situation they're actually in because. Again, with acedia, there's no action you have right there. It's you need comfort, you need encouragement. So it depends on the student and it depends on what they're struggling with. Mm-hmm. But very often people will come to me like looking for comfort and I'm like, you're actually kind of in the wrong. Like, mm-hmm. and, and I want to, I don't know. I care more about their like uh, growing through that than them feeling good at the end of a conversation. There is hope and truth. Yes, there is. And the, and, the students will rarely hear that from other places. Like, just think of your friends. Your friends want to make you feel good. They mm-hmm. don't want to make you confront your problems. And they deep down know what's wrong. Yes. And so to have somebody tell them the probably shameful or difficult thing, but say it true, yes. they're going to feel sad, but yes. then they're also going to be like, okay, finally somebody sees what's actually happening. And, As opposed to if you just are like, oh, well, you, everyone has struggles and everyone has, uh, you know, just, these are just, yeah, this is just part of, them, of growing up. Yeah. And they're like, oh, okay. And well. a lot of them know that of, um, that is lying or it's at least mm-hmm. dishonest to say there's nothing wrong with you. The problem is only with the other person. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I like a lot of this. Yeah. I just like that. It's, it's born from real human experience. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. The next, next fella to sort of bring changes to the list is a guy, a fellow named Cassian and Cassian lived between 360 and 435. He wrote the institutes and the conferences, which is about conversations with the desert fathers Mm. uh he kind of criticized augustine but not by name like he never said like augustine's a hack and so i think they called him anti-pelagianist or something like that and but sort of moderately yeah okay um anyway it's a fun little tidbit that he he and augustine kind of butted heads but his list is a little bit just barely different so he lists gluttony fornication a fantastic word, philargyria, which is greed. Oh, okay. Um, so philar, philar, I guess, love of Argyria, which apparently is money. Yeah, gold. Um, oh, okay. Argent. Oh, there you go. Sadness. Is that French? Yeah, for money. Okay. Or anger, sadness, acedia, cenodoxia, which is another word for vainglory and pride. Um, so the only real switch here in the in the sequence is he switches sadness and anger. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's important. Whoa, so these are in sequence? Uh, they weren't with Evagrius. Oh, okay. They are with Cassian. Oh, so this is a big change. Yep. He he brought some innovations. And the first one is that there are four ways of operation. So some are fulfilled with bodily action, yeah. fornication and gluttony. Like I have, I, the only way to consummate those sins is, is to actually body. act yeah. upon them. Right, um, some are fulfilled without action, yeah. pride and vainglory. Some are motivated from without, like uh, motivation comes from elsewhere, like avarice and anger, right? right? I, I can't really get angry if I'm just kind of hanging out by myself. Right. And then some are from within, sadness and acedia. And he says there's carnal and spiritual sin, right? Carnal brings pleasure to the f- flesh. Uh-huh. And these require a twofold cure. You need to be abstinent from the thing that's wrong right. and meditate, right? Might want to avoid people for a while. So if I'm dealing with lust... Yeah. I need to separate myself entirely from the temptation and then also, go through meditation. Yeah, but also meditation. Okay. So yeah. he changes the solutions that Evagrius gives. A little bit. Okay. Um, and then he says for spiritual sins, uh, and he, I love this definition. He says they provide the sick soul with the food of miserable enjoyment. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. you just feed on a sin. And anybody who's been angry or been envious or something like that, you know how it feels to just sort of like cook in it yep. and you're miserable and it's just 
it, you enjoy it, but it's still pretty bad. Yeah. Um, so he says the remedy, it, the remedy is a simple heart, right? To mm-hmm. sort of get rid of that, let that, you know, sort of don't think of yourself too highly and let it go. Yeah. The, the biggest issue is that it's a progression, huh. right? That is the biggest change he brings to these, this list of eight is that you start each, with one and then go to the next and then yeah, go to the next. Okay. Each leads to the next. And the only way to cure it is to assault the one before, right? Oh. So <laughs> let me, let me read the list again. Um, gluttony, fornication, greed, anger, sadness, and acedia. The last two, vainglory and pride, are actually separate from the first six. Oh. Um, they they are not part of that progression, but they do go one into the other. Vainglory becomes pride. Um, so so is these he saying you can't be angry if you're not gluttonous first. Uh, yeah. Okay. So gluttony is, I would say, overindulgence, and then you consummate it in fornication, and then you want what other people have, okay. right? Because you've, I, I guess, because you've gotten used to so much pleasure. And then when you don't get it, when you don't get what you want, Mm -hmm. you don't have your greed fulfilled, Mm -hmm. you get angry. Mm -hmm. And then after your anger, it kind of brings shame and sadness about your state in the world. And then eventually what all of that leads to is despair, which is acedia, right? So anxiety of the heart. So moving from just overindulgence all the way to soul anxiety. And he says, if you want to get yourself out of it, you got to focus on like, if you have an acedia problem, you got to deal with your sadness issue. If you want to deal with your sadness, you got to Get rid Can of you not just you jump to the top and just stop eating for a while? He doesn't, I don't think he really addresses that, mm. but I think he, he says you pretty much have to go in backwards order if you mm. want to fix it. Yeah. I never knew the seven deadly sins were a progression. Yeah. I guess it, I mean, it makes sense because Dante will put them in a progression mm-hmm. kind of yeah. and Aquinas kind of does. So I guess that makes sense. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. And well, he, I wouldn't think of them as being necessary for future ones. Oh, but This is going to tie that. into our next podcast. Are we doing yours next? Or no, we're doing yours next. On the Enneagram? Yeah. Okay. Well, I feel like we should, you know, yeah. it's going to work together. Okay. Cool. So we plan this stuff. Yeah. Um, we don't. He also kind of breaks each into its subsets. So each sin, he says, here are the different parts of it. Like, so for gluttony, um, gluttony and fornication are a pair, right? They are consummated with bodily action and motivated from without. Um, so gluttony is eating before the lawful hour. And remember, this is still for monks. This is still like practical monk stuff. Eating before, but I mean like... It's where you're like snitching food. Yeah. You're like getting snacks. Eating in class. Yeah. Oh, you're going to call them out for a CD? For their gluttony. Yeah, for the gluttony rather, sorry. Or it's when you eat everything available, like mm-hmm. you just eat all the food. Yeah, we got that too. Or yeah. you have a an inordinate desire for fine foods. Oh, I got mm. that. And he even, <laughs> he even says that's pretty bad. Like if you Aww. go to somebody else's house and you're like, um, do you have better sauces than oh, this? Oh, I don't, I don't, I'm not that bad. <laughs> yeah, so th- that's bad. And he so he says all the, all that's Pretty, pretty rough. And then fornication, he says, this can be actual sexy times. So <laughs> actual fornication. Is that what he says? That's in the, in the in Greek, Greek quote. Okay, thank sexy you. Sexy times. Yeah, thank you. Then he says sexy times alone, which he doesn't even really mention what that is. Sure. Um, he kind of references a verse that uh-huh. has to do with what's happening there. But, you know, the sexual act when alone. Sure. And then sexy times and thoughts. Mm-hmm. So those are the three different things you can do. Yeah. Um, greed is kind of fun. The first one is you're not permitting renunciants to be deprived of their wealth. Hmm. Like if a monk comes and he's super rich, you're like, dude, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sucks. Yeah. Don't, yeah, like let him keep his stuff. Wow. That's the first one. You want to take back what was given to the yeah. poor. Yeah. Like go and collect it back. Nope, nope, nope. Uh, uh, sorry. Uh, sorry, man. No, I need that. Or what we all think of as greed, which is what you want what you didn't have before. Right. right? I want more stuff. Right. Anger, he says, can be interior, can break out in deed, or can last for days. Um, sadness is after anger or because of a hurt or thwarted desire. And he says this can also be unreasonable ang- mental anguish or, and he uses a strange phrase, I don't really know what it means, horn despair. You guys know what horn despair is? Not a clue. If you're a listener and you know what he means horn. by horn despair, oh, I Googled it. Yeah, Bug- I'm not going to Google it on my. I'm not going to Google it on my phone Let's do, account. Uh, Horns of Despair uh, apparently is a band that we could listen oh, to. Oh, that, that's I, probably it. Oh, there's another one called Despair Horn. We could on SoundCloud. <laughs> oh god. See, it's a lot of bands and some chalices. <laughs> it's not a <laughs> cornucopias. Yeah, <laughs> it's not great. Um, a CD he splits into two, and I, I think this is really interesting. He said it makes makes the sad fall asleep, or it gives you wanderlust, which I think are the two mm. reactions to sadness right you either like lay in bed mm-hmm. 
or you, you like, got to get out of there. You feel yeah. like you got to get out of there. Mm-hmm. You like want to leave and you want to run. So I gotta it's, go it's to the two school. reactions. Either you shut down or you run. Yeah. I hate this right? place. I will be happier in a different school. Mm. <laughs> or you just stop trying <laughs> and let your no, grades totally tank. No, I'm just saying I'm getting worried about you. Hmm? Or you just, yeah, you just get sad and let your grades totally tank yep. because you yeah. feel like it's not worth it. I think this is so interesting mm. as the two reactions to depression, right? Mm-hmm. Like <clears throat> this is how people react. You either want to leave or you want to fall asleep. I mean, there's a good... There's a good theological treatise that needs to be written at some point that with someone that has a lot of not only um, maybe some clinical psychology or some real understanding of the chemicals of depression, but then also the spiritual state or with a conviction that that the life of the soul also can influence the life of the body. Um, There needs to be a good good, uh, um, treating of that uh, to talk about you know how those two interact uh, how those two interact mm-hmm. um because i usually get because at least in my experience uh it's usually you get one or the other depression is solely 100 percent chemical mm-hmm. reactions and all you need to do is just somehow get those chemical reactions right and you will now be happy mm-hmm. or it's a complete or, or or it completely discredits that and says it's purely a a spiritual, attitude of the yeah. soda or it's a spiritual thing and uh you just need to you just need to pray more and um i've seen sort of damage done to people when both of those things were held in their extremes, there needs to be some sort of good mixing of the two. I'm sure it's out there. I, I, I haven't really looked yeah, into well, it. If anyone's looking, uh, there's a book called Anatomy of the Soul uh, by Dr. Kurt Thompson, and that is a book that gets at what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. He, he would not call it a theological treatise because it's more about science, but it's getting at some of the ideas you're talking about. Mm. So Anatomy of the Soul, if anyone wants that. Yeah, I think, I think there's a... There are some causation fallacies happening there, mm-hmm, right? Because mm-hmm. the chemicals are different, it therefore must be caused by the chem- chemicals. Mm-hmm. When I don't, I don't know if causation has been proved. Sure. Um, and so I think I think your your want to tend spiritual to state spiritual. could be changing the chemicals. But the thing is, I also have seasonal affective disorder. So when it's cloudy outside, I'm depressed. Mm-hmm. Like nothing in my life has changed from one day to the next. Well, the sun's gone. Except for the sun's gone, and, and I all of a sudden hate everything and think I, all doom and gloom in my wow. life is terrible. It's been then, rough growing up in the Pacific Northwest. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I was depressed every winter for like six months, and then I would I came well with Austin. down to Austin, and I'm way happier all the time, especially because the sun's out all the, you know, like all the time. Yeah. And that's true. Like if you exercise and you get a little bit, bit of vitamin D, that can help. And so it's not it can't just be attitude of the heart, right? Well, I don't I mean, know. There's, there's a the chemical praying component. and meditation and sort of taking time to be to like not have your brain be yeah um, sort of at the forefront acting, but having some sort of sort of passive some passive reflection on God is probably also healthy chemically at some point. Yeah, at some level. So I don't know. It's just something to think about, right? I, yeah. I don't claim that I have the answer on that one. Um, the last two, vainglory and pride, again are separate from the first six. Oh my goodness, Marianne Robinson was right. <laughs> <laughs> She's did our new the, leader. Did you, watch, did you watch those debates? I watched some of the clips of the debates. Okay, good, great. All we need is love. All we need is love. Push back the dark forces. Yeah, this is good. Um, Gnosticism. So vainglory is split down into you're uplifted by carnal and exterior things. So what make you, makes you happy is outside of you, yeah. right? Rather than what's inside. And that you desire empty praise. And he has a fun note. He says, actually, this is, this is the only sin that might be a good thing. Because a desire for empty praise from all the other monks means that I am less likely to commit the first hmm. six, right? Because I want them to think I'm the best monk ever, You'll I probably won't go around eating their mm. food and getting angry at people. And so it actually might sort of stifle those first six, but then it can grow into pride. And he actually doesn't give any notes on pride. Really? Like wow. he goes through the first seven and then pride just, he's just like, and also There's pride probably. exists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to talk about some other things. That's yeah. I wonder if it's because you almost don't need to say anything like, I think we know what pride is. Oh. Yeah. And that's, I mean, how do you fix it mm. other than hu- just humility? Did you say vainglory leads to pride? Yes. Okay. Got it. So a desire for empty praise. Yeah. Um, okay. The next huge step. So we, so far we've had a vagrius, we've mm. had, we've had Cassian, um, and then we have Gregory the first. So this is a dude that thought way too much about the book of Job. <laughs> Good for him. I'll tell you about that. So he was a Pope. Um, he lived 540 to 604. So this, this is Gregory the Great. This is the Great. That's this is Gregory yeah. the Great. Okay, cool. He's he's. Do you guys know much about Gregory the Great? He, um, I wish I could remember the name of the book. I think it's Classical Approaches to Counseling. Gregory the Great is brought in as like uh, an uh, an early approach toward like a pastoral approach. Okay. Um, so yes, 
he's the marcation that I have for the beginning of the Middle Ages. Yeah, yeah sure. He he organized a huge, large-scale mission from Rome. He combated the Donatist her- heresy, which mm-hmm. pretty much means that you have to be perfect as a priest for your the, sacraments to, your sacraments to mm-hmm. be true. Like, if I'm going to do baptism, I have to be completely spotless. Um, and then he also happened to write over 1,100 eight and a half by 11 pages on the book of Job. Ooh, good for him. It was huge. Yeah. I had to, I, I knew that the list, the final seven, right, that we have today was codified by Gregory yep. in his book um, on Job. So I had to try to find it in that 1,100 pages. Um, thank heavens for find in page. Yeah, control right? F. There control you F all day. Um, so I found it. And this is the final list in uh, in order of occurrence in the conquered heart. So this is a this is also in Is sequence. that the name of the book? The con- a conquered heart? No, I think it's like uh, morals. Uh, his mm. like something like that. Um, I, I think I've got it put here somewhere. But anyway, yeah, it's it's uh, books of the morals. I think is what it's called. So here's the final list, and this is in order, just just in sequence, just like the last one. Vainglory, envy, anger, melancholy, avarice, gluttony. And lust. And that's okay. And the order there is the progression, same as before? It's progression, same as before. So, something, so gluttony, which was our entryway before, is now second to last. Yes. Okay. And lust is dead last, right? It's, it's almost a complete flip, flip of yeah. where it was, right? So, vainglory or pride is first, yeah. leading to that envy. That makes more sense to me, pride being early. You think so? Yeah. 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 You, well, remember, those last two were a progression on their own. They were separate from the first six. In Cassian, but yeah. now they're all included together. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. that Because pride is saying that, you know, I know that I shouldn't, you know, pursue gluttony, pursue envy, pursue whatever, but I'm going to do whatever I want to. Like, it makes sense for pride to be kind of the starting place for mm-hmm. all future sins. Well, or, yeah. And, and especially this leading to envy. Yeah. Right. So I, I think I'm so great. Why does somebody else have something more than me? Yeah. And then you get angry about that. And yeah. then you get sad because you don't have it, um, leading to wanting what they have and then just sinking into gluttony and lust. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense. It's weird that those two progressions almost are completely opposite of each sure. other. Um, but here, I'm going to read you guys the passage where he actually talks about this progression, mostly just for the last sentence. So <laughs> just hang with me. Um, but they are, each of them, so closely connected with other that they spring only the one from the other. For the first offspring of pride is vainglory, and this, when it hath corrupted the oppressed mind, presently begets envy, because doubtless, while it is seeking the power of an empty name, it feels envy against anyone else being able to obtain it. Envy also generates anger, because the more the mind is pierced by the inward wound of envy, the more also is the gentleness of tranquility lost. And because a suffering member, as it were, is touched, the hand of opposition is therefore felt as if more heavily impressed. Melancholy also arises from anger because the more extravagant the agitated mind strikes itself, the more it confounds itself by condemnation. And when it has lost the sweetness of tranquility, nothing supports it but the grief resulting from agitation. Melancholy also runs down into avarice because when the disturbed heart has lost the satisfaction of joy within, it seeks for sources of consolation without and is more anxious to possess external goods, the more it has no joy on which to fall back within." But after these, there remain two, or remain behind two carnal vices. So he still maintains that spiritual versus carnal. Gluttony and lust. But it is plain to all that lust springs from gluttony, when in the very distribution of the members, the genitals appear placed beneath the belly, and hence, when the one is inordinately pampered, the other is doubtless excited to wantonness. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Awesome. Is that the last sentence you really want to do? That is the last (laughs) sentence. Thank you. And so... (laughs) He's basically like, it's you eat too much. within the body. Yeah, you eat too much, and what's going to happen is just like, I think he was just a little confused about anatomy yeah. is what was going on. I don't know about that. Anyway. But the rest of your the rest of your body just is envious. Oh. oh. Hello? I think someone is testing our PA system. There we go. Cool. Uh, okay, and then he also lists under each sin all of the different like sub sins that can be a part of it. So mm-hmm. with vainglory comes disobedience, boasting, hypocrisy, contentions, obstinacies, discords, presumptions of novelties. There's a bunch of them. He lists all. And I think the the thought here, I think he's, I just want to use it to impress upon the listener that this was thought to be a full list of the grand headings of sin. Any sin you can commit goes under one of these. Sure. Right. So you'll sometimes get like a list of, you have the the big, the, the seven deadly sins, and then like their children of each of those sins. Yes. And those children come under each of those seven headings. 
And then even under the children are like more like forms of those sins. So what that means is like, if you hear this and you think there are more than seven ways to mess up, yeah. you're right. But they, they kind of fall into these categories, at least seven or these. And I, I want to say there are probably 40 when, if you get all the children under right. there. So probably 40 categories beneath that. And you can pretty easily fit most sin into those 40 categories. Yeah. So, I mean, almost any sin you can think of, the, the medieval church and the Catholic church yeah. have always pretty much thought that it slots into the seven deadly sins. All right. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to switch to the virtues now. So where those come from. The fantastic four virtues, the cardinal virtues, all come from Plato. So there's four, four cardinal virtues. That movie's terrible. Which one? Fantastic Four. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Didn't there um, be like a reboot on that? Yeah, they were pretty bad too. Okay. Yeah. So I'm kind of going to hustle through these, especially because they don't really go through any big changes mm. ever. So this all comes from the Republic. And he, after comparing the human soul to it's pretty much the passages right after he finishes building his like, here's what the perfect city looks like. Mm-hmm. And he's like, all right, so we've got the perfect city. What is happening? <laughs> Ooh, this is oh, fun. Listen, listen up, listeners. Is this a test? Oh. Oh my gosh, we have to evacuate. We're probably testing. You don't think it's a test? I don't, that doesn't sound like a test. I'm going to pause the podcast. Yeah. And we are going to leave the building. All right. Okay. Pause. And pause. Welcome back. For you, it was but mere seconds. But for us, it was a nightmare of ash and smoke. Did you say nightmare? A nightmare is what I heard, too. <laughs> no. A nightmare. A night. As opposed to what? A nightmare. A nightmare. A nightmare. <laughs> That's how you pronounce the word. Listen, guys, we just survived uh, Infernal Holocaust, and you're making fun of the way that I say nightmare. Yes. (laughs) That's how I say it. Which probably tells our listeners how serious it actually was. Nightmare. 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 Thank you. A nightmare. (laughs) Thank you. That's much closer to it. A nightmare. No. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, this is a whole other conversation. Uh, No, it was just a test. The school is not on fire. Everything is okay. Uh, And we will uh, be back to talking about uh, virtue. Virtues. So he lists four. Uh, prudence, which is wisdom or wise counsel. That's knowing the right course of action in any situation. And for for Plato, this corresponded with the people running the state, right? The guardians. Um, and in the person, reason, right? Reason runs prudence or wisdom. Mm. Courage. And he, I love the definition here. He says, the preserving of the opinion produced by law through education about what and what sort of thing is terrible. And by preserving through everything, I meant preserving that opinion and not casting it out in pains and pleasures and desires and fears. Basically, it's maintaining an opinion about what is scary yep. through every situation in life. Hmm. And um, for the in the state, that corresponds to the warriors. And for the person, that's your will and spirit, right? It's the virtue of will. Temperance is basically a harmony among the many parts of your soul. So reason, will, and appetite. If, if they are all in accordance for how much you should indulge in something or how much you want something or what you should do, that is temperance. We usually think of temperance as like going only so far and no further in a pleasure, but that is when your appetites are in concert with right. your reason, right? That's, that's what that means. Mm-hmm. So basically harmony within the person producing uh, a not too much, not too little with all everything else. Yeah, said differently, you can be intemperate on both sides. So you can be intemperate in not ever doing anything and being a bump right. on a log, and you can be intemperate in indulging too much. Those are those are both violating temperance. Exactly. Yeah. The last is justice, which is for Plato it means pretty much doing your own thing, keeping your own stuff, what? not being a busybody. I'm not kidding. Okay. Basically do your own dang job and don't stick your nose in everybody else's business. Mm-hmm. Um, there are there have been sort of developments on our definition of justice, but that's for Plato what it is. And, it, and it's still justice. And that corresponds to the whole man and the whole city. Um, is that the definition we'll get to eventually in the Republic? Is that where that comes from? Yeah. Okay. I mean, cool. those, yeah, those all come from the Republic. Cool. And then I, Aristotle kind of talks about the golden mean, mm-hmm. which, and we've, which we've talked about plenty on the podcast, so I won't mm-hmm. go too far into it. Basically, virtue lies between two extremes. Um, and then Thomas Aquinas, in his Summa Theologica, pretty much just confirms all of these. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And adds the three, I, I don't know if he adds these or if they are added elsewhere and he just confirms it, but the three theological virtues to supplement the four cardinal ones, which is faith, hope, and love, or yeah. charity, right? From uh, Corinthians, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 
those seven together, justice, temperance, prudence, and courage, um, add to faith, hope, and love. Now, the first four are available to anyone, right? They they come from the classicists, yeah. classicists like the pre-Christ. Right. They had nothing to do with the Hebrews, so it's it it's available to everyone. And the last three are given to us and available to us only through the divine. Um, I don't have time to go into it, but the catechism of the Catholic Church, the current catechism, confirms all of these and lists all seven, and it lists the the seven virtues, right? The four cardinal and then the three theological. And it basically says this is borne out by human experience to be these things. Um, so you can go find it in current Catholic doctrine. Uh, and then, so that's, that, that is the whole sort of picture where our virtues and vices come from. Yep. So why is this important to, to give to our students? Um, I'll give some basic thoughts and then you guys can sound back to me. Okay. So when I was going through this and, and sort of studying all this in a, as a way to respond to students who say, you know, all sins are the same, I basically think like without a healthy understanding of sin, we make ourselves vulnerable to debil- debilitating sin states, right? I, if I don't have a word for envy or even mm. vainglory, which mm. is a cool differentiation between pride, mm-hmm. then I might be suffering from that sin and have no idea. Right? I mean, I, I know something's wrong, but I don't have a name for it or any sort of remedy, which yeah. is dangerous. Right? If we don't teach something about sin, then we open ourselves up to issues. I actually had somebody ask after I gave this session, how should I tell a Calvinist about this? Right? Somebody who is like fully seven-point Calvinist. And I said, well, if they argue with you on one point, say, okay, what if instead of one, one Calvinist, there were 50? And 10 of you were suffering from debilitating lust, 10 of you from wrath, 10 of you from envy, right? Would you want to live in that community? Like, even though every sin is forgiven and we are all depraved, a community that is sunk, like, irreparably into one of seven, these deadly sins means a busted community. Yes. Right? And, and it seems like these are more, they can be more or less corrosive to, like, character and personality and, really, and you know, like, someone someone who is never gluttonous but sort of has a wild weekend of eating things and then feels really guilty is has committed sin and has done some sort of damage to their body. But are not gluttonous. But they haven't sunk so deep into it that it has become so interwoven with their character that it would take an immense amount of of pious effort to untangle that sin from who they are. Right. Yeah. So there is this idea that there is, yes, the status before God is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there is also a, a, a temporal progression that... It gets worse with time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, and, you become vicious. Yeah, yeah. Right? Vicious yeah. means full of vice. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything in Calvinism that that would um, that 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 strongly holds against that. No, notion. I don't think so. I think it's just the the notion of total depravity. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's what I was wondering. Why it was specified that they're Calvinists? Yeah. It, it, it's specified because they say all people are totally depraved, so it kind of doesn't matter what sin they have. Yeah. Oh, I guess. Is the point you're making that there are worse sins to be? So if you're in a community, there are some sins that are worse to be around than other sins. My my point is that even if you we are all totally depraved and all sin is fully redeemable, certain sins will have a more detrimental effect to the person and the community around mm. them. Right. So if I have a habit, if I'm a totally virtuous person and I have a habit of I have a habit of lying to my wife about how good she looks in a certain pair of jeans, mm. I wouldn't call that person a vicious person. Right. I lie every even once in a while. It's a lie. Yeah, it's a lie, but it's different than like having sunk deeply into True. envy and being yeah. envious all day, right? True. That that kind of person is far more broken. Yeah. So, which progression then do you agree with? Uh, I I honestly don't know. Okay. I think Gregory's makes a lot of sense, okay. beginning with pride and then falling elsewhere. I think there are entanglements in there to to plumb further. Yeah. But now that's good. I think it's also helpful in. I appreciate the point that I think you said wasn't Gregory, but Cassian before that, that whatever sin that you're dealing with or talking with a person about is usually not the sin that actually needs to be dealt with. Like there's something that goes even deeper than that, that like whatever the point that you're realizing the problems of your sadness, you probably haven't dealt with a problem of, um, uh, gluttony or lust or whatever. Like there's something else going on than just the presenting, um, uh, uh, sin or situation. So I think that's a helpful insight also. Yeah. So I have a few other thoughts. Um, the, the way to teach virtue, I think this is according to Aristotle is teaching and experience, right? Education and experience. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is teachers have to teach something, right? If you're going to teach about what it means to be virtuous and sinful, there has to be some content there and you can teach scripture. Sure. 
Like scripture should absolutely be the authority, the number one. This is all supplementary information because humans like to codify things. We like lists and categories. Mm -hmm. Um, I think also if all sins are equal, it means either you'll crumple at the smallest sin. So if you hold sin to be very dire, then you commit some tiny sin and then you just fall to pieces. This was the problem with Martin Luther, right? He, for at least in the beginning, every single sin, he would go and repent for two hours, right? Yeah. Or you won't balk at the worst. Mm. So if you think all sins are the same and you're like, ah, I'm fine, like stealing someone's pencil, might as well steal the crown jewels because yeah. that it's, you know, in God's eyes, it's the same and I can repent just the same. So who cares? Yeah. Right. I also think that in an absence of good nomenclature for the sins and virtues, kids will grab whatever virtue is the nearest and decry whatever sin is most decried in culture. So mm. they'll say, sure. okay, what are the sins that my parents most talk about? I don't know excellence in grades, maybe some hard work. And so I've met kids that their virtue is that they work hard at everything. Yeah. And what they ha- what happens is they usually end a nervous wreck because they can't do everything because they're being imprudent. Yeah. I hadn't right? thought of it until you said that, but industry or hard work is not one of the seven virtues that you just listed. I, I don't think it is a virtue. Okay. I, I think hard work correctly ap- applied is prudence. Okay. Right. I think that's what that is. But not the hard work itself. The hard. Yeah. Yeah. If someone goes and like moves rocks from one pile to another, but the piles don't matter. They work really hard, but they didn't accomplish accomplish anything. That's useless work. Yeah. Right. Um, I also think that the running of the human machine and human culture becomes a mystery. One only moderately well explained by science. Yeah. Right. These seven virtues Hmm. and seven deadly sins help us to understand how we function. And losing that means we have to rely on other things to tell us what we are, which is why we end up relying on psychology and science and things we've heard and instinct or instinct um, or whatever. But all that language is just another way of for someone to say, um, this action uh, causes a rush of dopamine, which makes us happy is no different than having said this action makes us happy. But that seems less binding than it's like the, the fact that you've sort of reduced it to the, to the mechanical means that it seems less binding than if I said like, good men are courageous yes if i said like when you are done being courageous you're gonna have a rush of dopamine mm-hmm. they can be like well i can also get a rush of dopamine if i hold my breath sure right you know so well it's also <laughs> yeah. descriptive versus prescriptive right yeah. good men are courageous means uh, like this is how you become a good man and you should be one right right as opposed to science is always descriptive yes. meaning that i can tell you that the dopamine is happening but as you pointed out like why do i care what mm-hmm. if i don't want any dopamine today mm-hmm. right. then i don't have to be courageous mm-hmm. right if i say if you are not a courageous person, you will be ruled by the fears that you don't, like, by your swaying fears and your opinions about what is fearsome. Yeah. And that you will be ruled by that and your life will be a terror. Yeah. That is a very different thing mm-hmm. than saying courage is beneficial to the society unit because it means that we right. won't die to other society units. Right. Right? It's, it's a completely different statement. Yeah. I mean, at some point you are appealing to some conception of the good life. And if the conception of the good life is just merely couched as... Um, a non-binding thing because of sort of evolutionary forces, then there's nothing really stopping somebody from point when saying that that's a meaningless, right. exactly. that's a meaningless. And then you sort of, it's kind of steps away to nihilism. And that kind you of become thing. unlinked from any ought. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yes, yeah. It's not, you ought do this. It's like, mm-hmm. you can do this mm-hmm. and here are the things that'll happen. And your ancestors have done this because of their biological necessities or whatever. Yeah. yeah you're almost, I would feel almost compelled to say, well, that heck with my biology right <laughs> whatever you want why am i ruled by what my body wants me to do i'm going to transcend and do whatever i want which mm-hmm. means all sorts of crazy things and, th- and that's kind of nietzsche's argument yeah, is you, that you then, that yeah, the define. thing is not the moral the thing is the will yes mm-hmm. and so then it kind of doesn't matter what you choose as long as you have the strength power whatever mm-hmm. to accomplish yeah. that thing cool yeah. So it's just one thing I always hit with my students, right? All sins are the same. And I want to scream, no, no, they're (laughs) not. They're not. And then, you know, dealing with students who have problems because they've taken some virtue or some vice Mm. and really, you know, ramped it up to a thousand and not given appropriate attention to the real virtues and the real vices. Cool. Yeah. So Plato's list has been going for... Good. 2,000 years. Anyway. Long time. So there you go. Cool. Well, do we have any classical stuff we got wrong? I don't think so. Well, I have I have one thing that I would like to point out. So, what are some of the names of C.S. Lewis's greatest books? Chronicles of Narnia. Okay. What Abolition else? of Man. Yeah. Uh, what about the one that we that uh, sort of encapsulates the Christian faith? Mere Christianity. Mere Christianity. Christianity. Okay. How's that first word spelled? 
M-E-R-E. Okay, if you wake up in the night and you've had, had a, a terrible dream, <laughs> and you've had a terrible dream. I had a nightmare. <laughs> what is, it's called a what? Nightmare. And spell that word, please. M-A-R-E. It's Oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad we had Did this Did you think it was E-R-E? Recorded. I'm so happy right now. This you has been Glasgow 24 hours. You can contact us oh at classicalstuff at veritasacademy.net. It's a great you point, can, I just, I'm trying to get rid of my pride so I don't have any of these ver- vices in wow. my... Um, Tell us all about your nightmares. We'd love to hear about them. So, um, I have embarrassed myself in public. Uh, very publicly. Really? So, Nightmare? M-A-R? Yeah, you're yeah, right. M-A-R- no, it is M-A-R-E. Yeah, that's right. Nightmare. Yeah. yeah. Oh, crap. Like the cow. Yeah. Oh, well. Or a, a, a horse. horse. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can email <laughs> us <nailing>. at <laughs> classicalstuff at veritasacademy.net. You can find us on Twitter at classicalstuff, C-L-S-S-C-A-L stuff. You, we have a website called classicalstuff.net. Um, and please email us with thoughts, episode ideas, um, funny doodles. Um, uh, we, we have a, a strange lack of memes in our inbox. Yeah, it's been, it's I would been, like some... We good memes. Some yeah. good memes. Yeah. Um, if you also have lines of dialogue between us that you thought were hilarious in lines past, remind us of these things because we're thinking, we're cooking up, we're cooking up maybe some uh, some ideas of ways that we can disseminate hilarious things that we've said. <laughs> like nightmare? Is that? Yeah, that can definitely be one. Oh, my word. Uh, embarrassing. All right. Um, this is Graham, Thomas, and AJ signing off. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>